If you keep your Bibles open in that passage, that will be very helpful. Well, if you've been following along this series this term, we have been doing a series on the church, on God's church, and particularly looking at what the letter to the Hebrews have taught us. I don't know how you found it, looking through this this letter, uh, what have been some of those things that you might have, uh, those preconceived notions of church that might have been challenged. Uh, I found uh, it very enriching looking through uh, all these uh, various instructions that have really uh, taken us into areas that have been great comforts and also some great challenges. But I don't know how you would answer the question, uh, a basic question, why are you here? We've asked that question a few times uh, over this series, and you might get a number of different answers, uh, or you, you might have a number of different stock answers uh, if someone was to ask you, why do you come to church, or why are you here this morning? Uh, some people might say, well, for the community. Some people might say to learn from the Bible. Other people might say to worship God. And they would all be valid reasons. I want to focus on the last one for a moment. Worship. Uh, worship is a word that uh, is another... We've been looking at a few of those Christian buzzwords, haven't we? Uh, I, as a musician, worship has... <laughs> been hijacked by one subsection of the Christian community, musicians, and uh, we, we think of worship now almost synonymously with singing and making Christian music is there's the worship music is almost a genre, uh, but we know when we look at the New Testament that worship is much bigger uh, than music, and uh, Andrew Legg, who leads our music, is often reminding us of that, that our worship is not just our singing, but our whole of life. So what we're thinking about today is what these passages teach us about being a worshipping community. Uh, The letter that Hebrews uh, was written to a community that had a history, a past in Judaism with a whole bunch of traditions and rituals. And at some point, they've come to hear the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole letter is helping them and guarding them against that spiritual drift when they're really wanting to go back to what they're familiar with and what they're comfortable with. And the author has challenged them to have a revolutionary new outlook on what it means to gather in the name of God. And one of those things is really, the implications is when it comes to worship. So the first bulk of the letter, the author is at pains to make the point that Christ has made the sacrifice Christ has done all the work. We don't come to church to do work for God. We don't come to offer these uh, sacrifices like lambs and bulls and things on the altar. Christ has been the ultimate sacrifice. He has given us the foundation, the sure foundation that cannot be shaken, which is, not, which is the foundation for our worship. So if you look at chapter 12, if you've got Bibles open, you flick back a, a couple of pages Listen to this verse, which I think heads this whole kind of section that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Therefore, verse 28, verse 28 of chapter 12, sorry. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is, we're not insecure about what we're receiving. It can't be shaken. 
It's not, let us be anxious and worry, let us be scared, but be thankful and then so worship God acceptantly with reverence and awe. And then it has this little bit, for our God is a consuming fire. See the reverence that is there. There's these two ideas that are put up against each other. The thankfulness, the security, but the majesty and power of God. So we're thinking a little bit today, what does it mean to worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe? And I think that is unpacked in today's passage. The word worship... Uh, is a word that is sometimes in the New Testament is translated as serve or minister. And so it's a, a service word. So sometimes when you're thinking of using the word worship, sometimes a way to clarify if we're using it the right way is to substitute the word worship with the word service to see if that's the right kind of context or ministering to. So how do we serve or minister towards God we're going to have a look at uh, three key ways that we do that, starting at verse 15 of chapter 13. There are three things that we need to have a new approach to, a new understanding of. First of all, we have to have a new understanding of sacrifice. Secondly, a new understanding of leadership and church leadership. And thirdly, a new way to pray. So there are the three things that we need to have to worship God acceptably, if that makes sense, from this passage. A new kind of sacrifice, a new approach to church leadership, and a new way to pray. So let's look at the first one, verse 15. A new kind of sacrifice. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice. Let's pause it just there for a moment. Now, remember, Old Testament people... With something, okay, continually offer to God sacrifice. That means I'm going to have to somehow set aside in my weekly budget or or my weekly timetable, I've got to go and get the bull, the the grain. I've got to somehow work out how can I continually offer this sacrifice to God. Now, for Old Testament people, that in one way, that would have been quite a burden, wouldn't it? In other ways, it's quite tangible, concrete instruction. You can kind of say, well, you know, as long as I set my goals... I can do it and I can tick it off and I've done my duty. Continually offer to God sacrifice. Okay, as long as I keep doing it. But what we read here is the sacrifice is something which is a little bit less tangible. It's a sacrifice which is praise. Sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. So the sacrifice that we're called to offer is confessing the name of God. The confessing, really, the name of Jesus, I think, is where the, the, the implications are. Now, we know what it's like to continually praise something or someone, and you probably can think, or someone who knows you well will probably tell you, you might be worth asking them after today, what do you think I find easiest to praise? What are the things that I find the easiest to praise? That is, what are the kind of things that I find easiest to talk up publicly and unashamedly? I don't know what people would say for me. Probably the Beatles, maybe. <laughs> people would. There, there's things that we can just talk about. You get me started on a particular topic, and you'll have to stop me. And it's, you might be the Beatles or something like that. But the praise that we're being called to do is to be unashamed of the name of Jesus. Now, 
in a sense, that's really easy, isn't it? It's not hard to just talk about somebody a lot in a positive way. It's not actually exerting much energy. And you see uh, preschool kids. I remember my kids when they were at preschool, uh, when you pick them up at some time, and they would just talk unashamedly of Jesus to their friends and church as if everyone knows about Jesus, right? You know, <laughs> everyone knows about church. It's a great thing to go to. And almost as a parent, you go, oh, let's just, just let's hold it back a bit, you know, from a different family. <laughs> but you see, it's not a hard thing to do. But as we grow and we're part of this world, it's an incredibly hard thing to do, isn't it? So in the last week, how many times did you talk publicly in a positive way about the name of Jesus, particularly to others who might not share that belief? Incredibly hard, isn't it? Now, the reason we find it hard, I think, is sometimes legitimate. When you raise the name of Jesus, you suddenly make yourself accountable. Because how you act, you don't want to be one of those hypocrites that go around, Jesus this, Jesus that. You know, we see um, awful stories of, uh, you know, even the Royal Commission has been an example of people whose full-time job has been just to raise the name of Jesus uh, in, in, in churches around the world. And they're absolutely full of hypocrisy in how they've conducted their lives. And so for a good and valid reason, we are actually quite reluctant to raise the name of Jesus because we don't want to be hypocrites. And I think the author actually knows that. The sacrifice of praise that we're talking about here is, verse 16, do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. I take that to mean that whole paragraph, that whole section, praising God with, praising Jesus with the name matched with action. Now, I assume in a room this size, we might lean one way or the other. We might maybe find it easier to just do good deeds, let's say. And, and, and the other side of us might feel, well, it's easier to talk about Jesus, but I find I'm, I'm quite a, I look after myself, thank you very much. That's the kind of person I am. I don't think we're meant to separate them. I actually think that when you, appraise, when you get to the point where your identity and security in Jesus is, is, is secure, in, where your identity is secure in Jesus, a bit like a child who hasn't really thought any differently, it's easy to talk about Jesus when you are secure in Jesus. But what happens then is I believe that when your security is, is when your identity is secure in Jesus, the action is also easier. Because when you know who you are in Jesus, you've actually got a different perspective on life here and now and history and where you're going and what you have. So it's interesting, over recent weeks we've been uh, kindly at this Box Divi organisation which shares vegetables around uh, the community in boxes and each week we get given because they know we're a church and uh, we are, they, they assume that we've got a, all these contacts and we probably should have a contacts everyone in the community with people with various needs. So they come and give us a box and uh, some people might have been recipients of that box and the common theme that I get uh, when I'm taking the box to people is that, oh, I'm not worthy. There's probably someone who needs it more than me. Please don't. Please don't. Uh, but partly because... I'm given that box every week and I, I, I kind of say, seriously, take it. <laughs> we'll get another one next week. Don't overthink it. 
You can you, it's just accept it. Now, that is a really easy thing for me to do, that kind of doing good and sharing. Why is that? Well, A, it's a gift that's been given to me. I didn't go out to wherever it was, Flemington Markets. I don't know how it works, but I didn't get the... I've been given it, and so... And I, I can just share it around. Seriously, take it. And I think that's a little bit like what worshipping is uh, for the Christian community, for those who know Jesus. We have been given so much. It really, sharing with others is not... It, just take it. Do it. It's okay. <laughs> but sadly, I think it's because our hearts get distracted we get spiritually forgetful. We start to believe a lie that these next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, however long, that's all there is and we've, that's the priority at the moment. I'll think about the other stuff at another time. This is so important. And that leads us to either clamp up about speaking the name of Jesus or clamp up on generosity. But when we see that verse 15 at the very beginning, through Jesus, praise his name, don't forget to do good. A new kind of sacrifice. It's not going to the shops and buying a bull or a lamb. It's drawing your strength through Jesus. The second uh, thing that is renewed in a worshipping community is a new approach to church leadership. Now, a little bit awkward for me to talk about this here. Um, I didn't choose to preach on this passage today, and so just a heads up, this is not like a particular pastoral message that I've said, I need to talk about this to be hack right now. Uh, so please listen up. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. End of sermon. You know, <laughs> that's not what's happening, okay? But I would like to say a couple of uh, words on that. Uh, we have here, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Now, first thing to say is, up front, we are wary and right to be wary of abusive leaders. And we are rightly called not to blindly obey leaders and submit to their authority in a blind kind of way. But it's interesting, we are in some ways uh, wary of leaders and, 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 and we like to tear down our politicians and all that kind of, we can't agree on how the world should be run and all those kind of things. But in the last week, I've just been reminded of how much we do need leadership. You know, you know how, for me, I am so appreciative of the way the RFS and the whole, whole alert system was um, coordinated in the last week. I think everyone was appreciative of alerts and being warned and being given a lot of notice and being given a very clear structured action plan. You imagine if we were all just, yeah, leadership, everyone, fend for yourself, work out what's right for you. No, we, we needed leadership. We needed those warnings. And so I think God has given his church leaders to structure the people, but it's not leaders that are absolute, but leaders under Christ. And we have all kinds of leaders. We have growth group leaders here. We've got myself. We've got kids' church leaders. We've got live leaders. We've got revo leaders. We've got all different kinds of leaders. 
But for God's people to work, we're not just a bunch of individuals. We are to, in here we have, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, what I wanted to say here, what does that look like at BHAC, you know? And what does, what does leadership and obeying and submitting to leadership authority look like at BHAC? Now, you probably know that, I don't know, in, in my time here, it's been about coming up to five years, actually, and I don't think there have been many times, if any, hope not, where I've instructed you to do something by order. <laughs> so, it, unless I'm doing it wrong, I don't think it's, it's meant to be, therefore, you do this, I will obey and go and do that. It's not about instruction and obedience in that kind of way. Where leadership, I think, uh, happens at BHAC, um, outside the teaching of God's word, uh, which is what we're doing here now, is through our structures. So not our instructions, but our structures. That is, effectively, it's the leaders who say, well, who come up with the call of, we're going to do this thing called growth groups. That's for the one way of growing us all together uh, in Christ-likeness. It's not biblically mandated to do growth groups this particular way, but at some point, every church, decisions are made about how we are going to grow in Christ-likeness. And someone has to make those decisions. And I think what the author is saying here is that for a church to worship God effectively, we have to bind together and go with those structures and those things that have decided basically to order and create growth amongst God's people. I take that, how that works itself out at BHAG, rather than Luke said, so therefore, do it. (laughs) That's certainly not what we're talking about. We are talking about working within the structures that have been set up by the various leaders, going with the grain rather than against the grain. And if you are somebody who prides yourself on being, let's say, a rebel, and that we've all got different personalities, and that's fine. There are people who are, who are more questioning than others, and some people who are more just go, go, with, go with it than ever. But I think when we see this verse, we do have to keep things in check to say, am I going against the grain just for the sake of going against the grain? I don't think God's church is meant to be full of a bunch of people who just enjoy going against the grain. That's not to say... It's just blind obedience and submission. Now what we have here, which is radical, I think, when it comes to church leadership compared to other kinds of leadership, is it's, it's, actually, it's actually upheld by prayer, mutual prayer. See verse 18? Pray for us, those are the leaders of this, that we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. So one of the ways to guard against abusive, domineering leadership is to pray for your leaders so that they won't be going off and suiting their own agenda. They'll be honouring God and have a clear conscience. So committing to God those concerns with leadership, it's kind of a mutual thing that's going on there. Finally, we are given a new way to pray. Uh, See there in verse uh, 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will and may may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. So this sounds like a, you know, to whom be the glory forever and ever and amen. That just sounds like another stock standard phrase that prayers are ended with. But when you see it, you see what we are praying for as a church community, as a worshipping community, is to be bringing glory to God, not ourselves. And the prayer is trusting that God will be the one who will be equipping us to do these good things, to be building others up, to be pleasing to him. We're not left alone. Now, I wanted just to um, focus in on that word equip there in verse 21. When I read the word equip, it's not a particularly poetic word. I don't know how many poems have the word equip in it. It doesn't, you know, it's not, it just sounds like a, something out of a workplace safety training program or something like that. I, I don't know. It's not, the word equip doesn't just jump out. It sounds like, all right, do a curriculum, be equipped. The word here, equip, is the same word that is used in uh, Matthew 4 for when the disciples were mending their nets. It's the mending word, equipping and mending. The sense here is we are praying that as people who have been broken by sin, we are praying that God will mend us, stitch us together, help us to come together, take away our brokenness, mend us, so that, like a fishing net is being mended so it can catch fish, we are being mended to not seek our own will, but to please our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is our prayer, and that is what it means to be a worshipping community in this passage here. A changed idea of sacrifice that is now praising Jesus for what he has done with a life that matches. A new approach to leadership where we are seeking to be united and growing together rather than a bunch of individuals finding our own way. And we are praying in dependence towards our Heavenly Father that he will mend us to do his will. I don't know which of those are a challenge for you. Uh, the Publicly speaking about Jesus, continually sharing with others what you have, obeying your leaders, praying for your leaders, praying that God will change you and equip you and mend you. I don't know what those challenges are for you. I'm going to give us all a moment just now to come before our Heavenly Father and ask him to make us a worshipping community. And can I encourage you not just to pray for yourself, but pray for this community here at BHAC. Let's do that. Father, I give you thanks for sending your son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us to bring us to you, to restore that relationship. Father, we know what, we all know what it's like to have broken relationships. We know the grief and the anguish that that brings. And Father, today we give you thanks that you have come to us and mended that relationship. We ask today that you'll be continually helping our church community here at BHAC be one that praises you without fear, that shares selflessly without worry, that 
that works together as a church without cynicism. That prays continually with joy. We ask that you will help us to be a people who know what it means to honour and glorify you. And we ask for uh, this week and next week, particularly as we think about our future as a church, that you'll be putting these things on the hearts of everyone here and honouring you at the forefront of our minds. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to sing together now.